Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn. And this week, because it was the bye week, we are going to mix things up a little bit. We decided to talk about something that is every Browns fan's favorite part of fandom, and that's the NFL draft. So we were lucky enough to get Dane Brugler on the pod. He is the senior draft analyst at NFLScout.com. He was born in Akron, Ohio, and has been a Browns fan for a long time. So thanks for joining us, Dane. No, of course. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it, like you said, NFL draft is as much a part of this franchise uh, year round as anything else. And, uh, you know, hopefully because of the draft, that'll change. But uh, yeah, definitely plenty to talk about when it comes to the Browns and the draft. Yeah, we got tons of picks. No matter how bad the product is on the field, you can always cling to the hope that we might draft someone good in the future. That's why the draft's yeah. the best. So um, I'm also going to introduce my oldest brother, as always, Michael Kuhn. I'm here, everybody. And Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. So, Dane, we wanted to start it off by asking you a few questions that uh, we answered when we first started the pod this season. Um, in order to introduce ourselves, we each went through and said what our most vivid Browns memory was from childhood. Do you have one that stands out for you? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's something specific, but I definitely have flashbacks of Eric Metcalf uh, returning a punt or, uh, you know, Bernie Kosar. I mean, that was kind of my first exposure to football uh, growing up in Northeast Ohio. Obviously, uh, it was all about the Browns. That was on TV every Sunday in my family. So, uh, that that was my first exposure, uh, and then actually, I remember when Bernie Kosar were, was released, and then the Cowboys became my favorite NFC team. I remember the first the first jersey I ever owned was a Cowboys Kosar jersey. I was I was mad at the Browns that Christmas, <laughs> so uh, that, that was the I still have the jersey here uh, somewhere in my house, but that was, that's the first and only jersey I've ever owned. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember when my parents told me the Browns were moving uh, and, you know, honestly, I lost some of my fandom during those years when they were away. Uh, but then when they came back that when they had that number one pick in nine, in the 99 draft, that's what really made me fall in love with the scouting process, uh, the entire draft process. And I was 12, 13 at the time. And, you know, I, I, at that time going through that draft, I knew scouting is what I wanted to do because of that draft and having that number one pick and looking at Tim Couch and Ricky Williams, Akili Smith, all those uh, players and trying to figure out, okay, what would make this college player a good pro? And I think that really ignited my passion for the draft. Who, who was on Dane Brugler's, the top of his draft board in 99? Was it Tim Couch? Uh, you know, at the time I, I was a rookie Williams guy. I mean, I, you know, what he did at Texas, uh, you know, I, I, at that time, you know, obviously you knew the importance of the quarterback, but I, I don't know, Tim Couch, Akili Smith, McNabb, uh, what, uh, uh, Pepper was in that draft. I mean, th none of them really blew me away. And so, you know, I went with the flash of, uh, Ricky Williams and everything he did at Texas, but uh, it, it's funny when you look back at that draft, really, uh, I mean, Ricky Williams had a, a good career. Edrin James had a, a really good career, but, you know, none of those quarterbacks, I mean, I guess McNabb had a, a solid, you know, 10-year career, but, you know, he made a Super Bowl, but none of those quarterbacks really you know, played up to the hype, at least, uh, you know, especially from the Browns' perspective. 
Yeah, so you and Mike Ditko were all in on Ricky Williams. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I, you know, I really like Champ Bailey from that draft. I think he might have been uh, the best player from from that draft class. Uh, I think he's got a Hall of Fame in his future. But uh, yeah, that's I, I don't. I would not have gone all in. I know that. But uh, you know, it's it's fascinating when you look back and think, okay. You know, obviously rebuilding the franchise if Tim Couch was in a better situation with, you know, an offensive line and uh, you know better targets around him, a running game, a, what could have been. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's funny to look back at that draft and see kind of how it all played out. Could have been a completely different story. So were, were your entire family Browns fans? Like, was your dad a Browns fan? Did he raise you that way? Yeah, uh, you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, we, we grew up in Warren, Ohio, about an hour away from Cleveland. And surprisingly, there are a lot of Steelers fans uh, in that area because it's it's kind of right between. Terrible. It's Shameful. Yeah, it is. I trust me. It, <laughs> I, I never understood it. I, I, I went to school with uh, mostly Browns fans, but there was always a handful of Steelers fans. And I think it was because we're, Warren's kind of in between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. But no, my family, I mean, it we didn't have season tickets or anything like that, but every Sunday uh, the Browns were what was on TV. That's what we were watching. That's what we were glued to. Uh, and yeah, so that, those are my earliest football memories for sure. Yeah. Same story over here at the, at the Coon household. It was, it's an unfortunate stance um, that we were forced <laughs> into. Um, yeah, well, so, were you forced or was it kind of just like it rubbed off on you guys? Well, or? I, I like to say I was forced so that I can defer the blame onto someone else. Uh, <laughs> right. That's, <laughs> That's why we call the podcast Sin of Our Fathers. I like to think that I didn't choose this miserable life, but it was chosen for me. <laughs> but at the same time, you didn't even know any better. Like, I was – my earliest Browns memory was the first game in 99 when they came back, and I didn't know they were going to be yeah. terrible. I didn't know that they were awful when most football teams won. I was nine years old at that point. I, got, right. I wasn't really yeah, aware of what Steelers. was going on. Yeah. Yep. They fought in that game too. I remember. Oh, yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, that's bringing back memories. That that was what Ty Detmer did. He start that game. He did. Yeah. Yeah. So Great. here's a real question, Dane. If now are you paying it forward? Are you planning to uh, indoctrinate <laughs> your own kids into the uh, Browns fandom? You know, that's a good question because, uh, like I said, they're two and they're one. So I, I haven't had to really <laughs> think about that yet. But uh, you know, like I said, we live in Texas right now. Well, we're in Frisco, which is just north of Dallas. And obviously, this is Cowboys country. And I do a lot of work for the Cowboys. Uh, I spend a lot of time at the Star, uh, at AT&T Stadium. So, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a possibility my kids might gravitate towards that. But my wife and I, we're both from Warren, Ohio. We're both from Northeast. That's our, all our family are from. Uh, so there's a lot of ties to, to the Browns. And every Sunday, the Browns are on TV. Uh, every time we go visit Ohio, I mean, the, the Browns are, uh, you know, what we talk about. And so, and who knows? I think, you know, we'd love to move back to Ohio at some point, uh, be closer to family, especially with these kids. So, you know, I, I don't know if I would force it on them, but I, I do think that there's a heavy enough presence that they could, uh, you know, go towards that. I mean, if you, in, I could walk into my son's room right now, and like I said, he's only two. But there's a there's a Browns poster on the wall. So yeah, that's I, where know, it starts, a, right there. That's there, where yeah, it starts. There's a subli subliminal uh, <laughs> kind of message in there that he, you sta know, he I, stands no chance. It's over. Right, <laughs> right exactly. I, you know, it, it's something that I think you you want it to be organic. You know, you don't really want to force it. But uh, you know, who knows? It, the next, uh, you know, and. It, I, 
I, I've turned down some NFL jobs, uh, and you know, it, it, who knows? There might be an NFL job that comes up that I want to take, and if that's the case, well, then you know, sorry, but they're going to be you know fans of the team that Daddy's yeah. working for and paying the check. <laughs> yeah. So that's you, you, just, you just never know. But yeah, the way we're going right now, uh, there'd definitely be a Browns presence in their life. If so, the, if my the Browns... daughters. Sorry, uh, sorry, Mark. My my daughter's a couple steps ahead of yours. Uh, mm-hmm. Your kids, she's five now, and she only remembers this season and last. So she firmly Oof. believes that that the Cleveland Browns have only ever won one game, and she reminds <laughs> me every single week. Yeah, but you know that she's she's been around for a Cavs championship, an Indians uh, World Series. There but, we go. Yeah, the Browns. Uh, whoa, is it one in twenty three now? The last two years. So uh, who's counting? Yeah, who knows. There we go. So, so uh, if the Cleveland Browns call Dane Brugler's number and are asking for some help in their draft analysis, they're looking for a football guy. Would you? Are, would you classify yourself as a football guy, Dane? I would hope so. I mean, that's all I do is watch <laughs> tape, and I don't have a law degree. I didn't go to an Ivy League school, so uh, I think I'm more of a football guy than anything else. But if they called your if they called your number, would you uh, move to Cleveland? Would you move to Berea? Uh, you know, it's uh, I've actually interviewed with the Browns before. Really? Um, and back when, uh, uh, when was that? 2013, maybe uh, yeah. that summer, um, they flew me in. I interviewed with Michael Joe Lombardi. Banner? Yeah, Michael Lombardi. Uh, I had a good relationship with. Talked with, met with him, met with um, Ray Farmer, who was the assistant at the time. Um, had met those are the two guys I met with the most and uh, they went really well and I was feeling pretty good about it and then met with Joe Banner and he hated me he did not like me at all uh, <laughs> no way <laughs> and and that's that's the vibe I got at least and then a couple weeks later Lombardi called me and told me you know I just there wasn't going to be a spot for me at this time and I asked him you know okay you know just what, constructive criticism something I did wrong what can I do to get better uh, you know, if I, if I interview again somewhere else or with you guys and he said, honestly, I loved you. I mean, you did, you, you know, I know your work. I know, uh, what kind, of, what kind of asset you'd be to the team. And so Ray Farmer as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he's, uh, I still have both those guys numbers in my, in my phone. Um, but for whatever reason, Joe did not like my answers to his questions and that did not go well. But, um, you know, the current regime uh, led by, uh, by Haslam, you know, I, I would have a lot of in an interview. I would have a lot of questions for them as well. Um, I, I wouldn't say yeah. there'd be a slam dunk. Yeah, just you know, uh, give me the the papers. I'll sign. You know, I, I would I would love to hear some of the you know answers to questions that have about the direction of the franchise and all mm-hmm. that. But no, I, I'd love to go back and help that team. No question. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, you shouldn't be too worried about the fact that Joe Banner didn't like you or maybe didn't like you. Uh, he might not be the yeah. best talent evaluator because he was really high on Kevin Hogan. So. Uh, my, so, my ego took a hit for like a day and then after yeah. talking to some people like my buddies around the league and they they quickly got me over that and so that was uh because I, I never did talk with him after that interview to you know get any specifics or anything like that but i, I definitely would like to talk with him again just to i, I doubt he would even remember me but you know at least <laughs> catch up with them and find out what's going on what are you up to these days i know you're not in the nfl so yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're still doing so, it. So, Dane, tell us a little bit about what you are doing these days. Can you give us, like, a quick run-through, like, how you go through the whole draft evaluation process? Like, 
looking at tape? Like, what are you really looking at and how do you go through the process? I guess we'd also like to kind of know, like, do you base your evaluation more just on what you see on the tape? Or are you a guy that is really keen on the measurables and what you see at the combine and all that sort of thing? Yeah, well, for me, I'm scouting is my career. It's what I do for a living, um, 24/7, 365 days out of the year. Uh, it really starts in the summer. That's when I put together my initial rankings and spend the summer uh, looking over the seniors, getting a, a base foundation for who these guys are. And then throughout the season, you know, right now it's watching games on Saturdays and then studying the tape. Uh, so by when January arrives, I have, you know, all my opinions on these guys, my notes, all the scouting work is, is done at that point. Uh, there always be a few surprising underclassmen who come out or maybe an underrated senior. I didn't get to see enough of, um, you know, that'll leak into the draft process. But I, if I had to put it down into numbers, I'd say it's probably 75% tape and then 25% uh, the remaining pie is split between testing, uh, the interviews, the medicals, uh, and then just, you know, based on what I'm hearing, obviously, uh, I don't have as much exposure to these guys as uh, NFL teams and, and other people. Uh, you know, I, it's why the, com the combine is most important for me. Not, you know, I get all the numbers. That's great. But sitting down with each one of these prospects and getting to talk to them, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes, uh, that can be important. So, you know, for a lot of things going on, I have to go based on what I'm hearing and what league guys are telling me about the medicals, different things like that. But, you know, I really, I view the, the combine and the pro day as kind of a cross checking exercise. You know, if a guy works out much different than I expected from this tape, well, then I need to go back and figure out, okay, what did I miss? You know, this guy ran a four, three, but right. on film, he's not separating. He's not getting vertical. He's not, it doesn't look like a four, three athlete in pads. And so, uh, you know, those workout numbers don't always translate. Um, but no, I, I, to me, the sky or the, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. That, that's kind of the, the motto uh, that the tape that drives the evaluation and uh, I, learning what critical factors go into each position, uh, not focusing on what a player can't do, but figuring out what he can do. And I think that's something that I've really learned mm -hmm. over the years. You know, take Will Fuller, for example. Sense the the texans wide receiver yeah. uh he, he's, he's a good recent example I, I was lukewarm on his evaluation out of notre dame uh because when you watched him with the irish he had a ton of drops he's a not a big guy uh, you know he's not very tall he's very skinny the size worried me versus press coverage so those are the things he can't do but when you focus on what he can do which is pure speed you know the ability to get vertical oh, yeah. take a top off a of defense that's what he can do and he does it extremely well and we're seeing, you know, right now with the Texans, well, at least when Deshaun Watson was healthy, that, you know, <laughs> <Not anymore. laughs> those, yeah, those explosive plays, those can change games. And that's what equates to NFL success. So, you know, Will Fuller, he'll never be that possession target or, uh, you know, uh, but his role, what you draft him for can be extremely valuable. So uh, that, that's, that's kind of an example of, you know, what I've learned over the years with doing tape study and then. Uh, you know, realizing the critical factors for each position and how that can translate to the pros. So we've had two years now of this Browns front office with Paul DePodesta mm -hmm. and Sashi Brown. Um, how would you evaluate their performance thus far as far as player evaluation and the selections that they've made? How did that align with where you had players ranked? Um, do you think they did a good job or do you think they reached or whatnot? 
Um, you know, I think it's been a mixture. Um, yeah, there have been plenty of picks that I've agreed on, plenty I've disagreed on. Well, I think a guy like Ricardo Lewis, uh, he was an undrafted guy for me because uh, he didn't have great tape at Auburn. Uh, but he six two and he's a four four athlete. Um, so you know you're going to get a chance, and I think he's he's proven to be more than probably the grade I gave him. But still, I didn't. I don't think he was uh, a guy that you really projected as being a true starter in this league. Um, I, I think he, you know, that's an example of one. I mean, you know, obviously. Miles Garrett, uh, it's hard not to <laughs> not to love him, but uh, you know a guy like uh, Higgins uh, from the same draft, I, I loved him, but uh, you know the tape was encouraging. He he fell because of some poor testing. Uh, you know I still think that uh, out of the slot he has a chance at uh, sticking at the next level. Uh, the Kessler pick blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> that I had no idea that was. Uh, that was even a possibility. Yeah, you're but, not the only uh, one. Yeah, no, I trust me. I, I I remember talking to various teams after that, and one had Kessler on the board in the sixth, another had him in the seventh, and the other handful of teams that I reached out to didn't even have him on the board. So wow, uh, you know, it's it's one thing if you believe in him. Good for Cody Kessler. Fine. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, he convinced but somebody. It's another thing when and it well, was Hugh Jackson so early. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and a big part of it is, uh, you know, a big part of it is just value, you know, and, you know, we could talk about that this year, like a guy like Baker Mayfield, if you love Baker Mayfield and you think that he can be the future. Okay. But you don't take him with that number one overall pick, you know, because it's about value and right. And I'm not saying you wait till the second, but maybe you use that, uh, that second first rounder. And if you're feeling a little apprehensive about, okay, you know, we don't want him to, get taken in before us okay well then move up you know a couple spots and go get them but um you know the draft's all about value and kessler in the third round that was that boggled my mind uh let's see a few other ones that i really liked um Derek kindred loved him uh, in the fourth round out of tcu I, I think he has a shot to be a, a starting strong safety in this league he's uh, looked good so far this year yeah especially if he in healthy oh, well that's that's his thing i mean he can come downhill and he'll hit you uh, the second round last year, or the second day last mm-hmm. year, I liked a lot with, with Kaiser and Oakman Joby. Uh, I really liked both those picks. You had um, us picking I, Kaiser, didn't you? Uh, gosh, I thought I, I might have so seen things. that. Yeah, one no, of I your hundred. One point I, yeah, exactly. Because uh, I did think he was a good fit for Hugh and for the offense. And, um, you know, I graded him as a borderline late first, early second rounder. And so to get him outside of the top 50 picks, it was a, it's a lottery ticket at that point. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, if he works out great, if he doesn't, okay, well, you didn't use a top 50 pick on him. So I was all on board that Kaiser yeah. pick. Uh, you know, we can discuss how he's been used this year and all that. That's a totally different discussion, but um, you know, he's 21 years old. So, uh, you know, I think the, the up and downs of what we've seen so far from him and kind of expected. And uh, you know, it was interesting listening to Sashi Brown's press conference today quarterback the word quarterback was mentioned uh, you know dozens of times oh, and yeah. he he never once mentioned kaiser until the end of the press conference when he was specifically asked about kaiser so i thought that was pretty telling about how this franchise views kaiser and how they know that the future of this franchise the quarterback who's going to uh, give them a shot. Uh, he's not on the roster right now yeah. so yeah quarterback's going to be you know 
numero uno uh, need in the offseason. So it'll be fascinating to see how they attack that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, assuming that the Browns continue on their current trajectory and they have the numero uno pick in the 2018 draft, mm-hmm. um, who do you think is the number one quarterback? Do you think there's someone there deserving to be picked at number one overall? It, that's a tough question because over the summer, um, Sam Darnold was my guy. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still not – I'm still a believer. I'm not jumping ship. Um, I'll go down with that Sam Darnold ship just because, you know, I've seen him make some special throws. Um, I've seen him come back and lead his team back uh, after a mistake. And so, you know, a lot of those times they're his mistakes. But he, he's kind of following that Jameis Winston script where he had that lights yeah. out redshirt freshman year. And yeah. then he followed it up with this rocky sophomore year. Um, a lot of it's him trying to do too much, uh, and there's some suspect talent around him, but he's 20 years old and he's still trying to figure out, all right, what throws do I need to make? What shouldn't I make? Um, but every game he makes some of those anticipation throws that are just rare for a college player, uh, that is so young. Uh, and he makes those handful of poor decisions though. And those end up being costly mistakes, the interceptions or whatever it is, the, the fumbles, but he has the intangibles and, you know, the ability to handle the mental side of the position. That's a big reason why I, I still believe in him. I still think that, uh, you know, he has a chance to be a very good pro. Uh, just have to figure out how to be more consistent uh, and not make those handful mistakes each game. But, you know, I think it's there's a very good chance he goes back to school. That's at least what I've been told, um, hmm. you know, the last few months. The scouts going through Los Angeles, uh, everyone at USC gets that vibe that, Darnold's going to go back, and it wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, he's a redshirt sophomore. I, I could literally, uh, you know, count on one hand the number of redshirt sophomore quarterbacks uh, who have gone in the first round. It just it doesn't happen very often. So if he goes back, it'll be the same thing that Luck did at Stanford, Mariota did at Oregon. So it uh, wouldn't be a surprise if he ends up going back. So if he goes back, then it gets really interesting because then we're talking about Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. And, you know, the draft's six months away, and I tell you what, I'm going to need, you know, <laughs> at least four of those months to, <laughs> to figure these guys out because – They're also I, different, right? Well, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I've got questions about each of them. You look at Rosen, uh, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He missed the second half of last year. He's missed a few games this year. Uh, a lot of that's his supporting cast. But he also makes a handful of mistakes each game. Uh, and then his, his personality, his – immaturity it's something that he's not going to be for everybody he he turns a lot of people off with the way he handles himself and so that's just another wrinkle to his tell uh, us more about that and i want to understand a little bit more about like what's driving that and like are there big josh rosen supporters that we just haven't heard or is everyone a little bit iffy on his character and some of this stuff behind the scenes it's tough because, you know, he's out. It's not so much that he's outspoken. It's just that he has he has an arrogance to him. And, you know, how it, it, talk. And I, I've talked to a few of uh, UCLA players. I've talked to a center. I've talked to some of the players on the roster and they say good things about him. So, you know, it's it's trying to figure out, OK, he has this arrogance. He has this, you know, he's not afraid to. Uh, you know, say what, what's on his mind, um, you know, whether that's speaking up for the little guy or, you know, whatever it is, uh, is it something that's going to affect the locker room? Is it something that's going to affect his ability as a leader? Uh, is it something that's going to, you know, is that really what you want? And, you know, if you draft him, 
number one or early in the first round, he's the face of your franchise. And do you want him representing your franchise, uh, you know, the way he possibly could kind of a wild card with what's he, what he's going to say. So it's more of a, it's more of a maturity thing, I think. And not everybody's going to be okay with it. He won't be on every draft board, but I, I still think that there's going to be multiple teams that overlook that and take a chance just because of what he does on the field. So it's, it really will be an interesting part of his evaluation and something that is, it's going to be talked about at nauseum for the next how many months. It's, it's going to get annoying how much we talk about it. <laughs> oh yeah. Is it like, do you, can you equate it to any other player? Like, is it anything like what we saw from Jameis Winston, like coming in with some of the character and off the field stuff? Yeah, it, it, that's a good question. Uh, you know, and Winston, obviously his stuff was more, uh, decision making off the field, you know, with the you know the rape charge that was uh, dismissed and the crab legs incident, and, <laughs> you know, just one yeah one thing after another, and you just question okay, My favorite this guy scandal. enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just come on. I mean, can you trust him? And so, uh, you know, I know talking to some teams that had early picks in that draft. I remember talking to them afterwards and asking him that question, you know, were you comfortable with Jameis and all that? And um, I, I can't remember which team it was. It was a team that was picking top five that year. And so they weren't sure if Winston was going to go one or two and they might have a shot at him, but they sent one of their scouts to kind of shadow uh, Winston uh, on campus and just throughout the process, um, you know, whether it was at a restaurant or whether it was, you know, wherever it was, he kind of shadowed him just to see how he interacted with different people, um, you know, not really knowing that someone was watching him. So um, and they said that he was he was fine. There wasn't anything that popped up that was big. Um, so I think it was more with Jameis, just more of a more maturity thing. And that's what this might be the thing with Rosen. because He's, he's well spoken. He comes from a very good family. I mean, uh, his his parents uh, are both uh, his dad was a, was a surgeon, um, his both his parents were ice skaters or something. I can't remember the exact story. And so he's, he, he's, he comes from a family that's pretty well off and uh, you know, he's been well-educated over his life. It's just, you know, I, at some point, you know, I remember, you know, when I was 21 years old and, you know, I, I would not have been ready to run a franchise and um, you know, be able to speak to the media and all that without saying something that was probably wrong. And so I'm, you know, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. and that, But that's what I'm saying. When we have six months to the draft, and we're going to need every every bit of that time to try and figure these guys out. And, you know, besides Rosen, you have Lamar Jackson, a guy who uh, is such an electrifying athlete, but his ability to run the ball, it's, it, that's gravy. You know, you want the meat and potatoes uh, of the quarterback yeah. evaluation to be, you know, his ability as a passer down the field. And that's something yeah. that's been – up and down for him this year. You watch yeah. against Clemson. You watch against NC State. Those are two of the tougher defenses he'll face, and he was subpar in those games, throwing the ball down the field. So yeah, every every mock draft I see that shows us taking Lamar Jackson in the first round makes me want to vomit in my mouth. First overall, it's, it's well, disgusting. It, I, well, and I don't blame you because there's still a lot of you know there's it's exciting to think about with what he can do, but he's not where you want him to be in terms of his development as a passer to take that big of a risk. So, uh, it, you know, and, you know, Baker Mayfield, same kind of thing where, you know, he's a guy that I'm not going to bet against uh, because of yep. his competitive nature, the way he, uh, you know, that, that ability he has to come back from, uh, from deficits and will his team to victory. 
Uh, I don't care so much about his height. You know, he'll measure somewhere between six foot, six one. That's uh, like Drew Brees size, right? Right. And, you know, I, and we're going to hear a little you know, where the Russell Wilson comparisons and Russell Wilson was five ten and five eight. So yeah, he, was he was much shorter. Much shorter. Right. And, and he's with fine. Wilson. Right. And <laughs> it's something where height can, you know, kind of like arm strength. I mean, ideally you love six, five rocket arm, but that's just not always the case. And it doesn't mean that he can't do it. And so I, I with Mayfield, I see a Jeff Garcia type, um, you know, and that's uh, J- Jeff Garcia with the 49ers, not the Browns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Totally that, different quarterback. <laughs> yeah, because if, if if not for Jeff Garcia, the Browns might have drafted. Uh, well, they probably would have drafted Roethlisberger in that draft. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because that was Butch, with William Butch Davis. Well that, well, that was a 2004 draft, and that was Kellen Winslow. Uh, Another gem. I remember Butch Butch Davis. He he wanted to win now. He was ready to, and so he didn't want to wait around for a quarterback and. Uh, so they, they took Winslow I, they love Sean Taylor and Kellen Winslow. Sean Taylor went to five Browns traded up from seven to six to get Winslow. And then Roethlisberger goes 11 to the Steelers and the rest is history. Brutal. All right. So Dane, you say Jeff Garcia, which I've heard before, which, which I like, uh, when mm-hmm. I watch Baker Mayfield, I see like a shorter, stockier Marcus Mariota in that spread mm-hmm. offense being efficient. Mm-hmm. Is, is that fair? Like, could could we expect Baker Mayfield to do what Mariota's done coming into the league, or are they kind of completely different players? No, I, I like that comparison because uh, same the same way that Mariota faced questions about his transition from that Oregon offense to the NFL, that's going to be a major storyline with Mayfield is – uh, how can he, you know, that transition from what Oklahoma asked him to do compared to what an NFL team's going to ask him to do? And uh, that can be the toughest part of evaluating a quarterback, is, you know, because even Stanford, uh, you know, one of the pro style offense, even Stanford will spread it out at times and go with a lot of shotgun. And, you know, it's something that you have to, uh, you know, you have to try and figure it out and take away, uh, certain parts of the offense and how that translates. So I think you're, I, I, I think that that makes some sense with that comparison with, with Mayfield. I don't think he has quite the, he's not quite the same athlete. I don't think he has quite the same arm, but he's not far behind. Uh, you know, it's not where I worry about it. His arm strength's plenty strong enough. He can throw with zip. He can uh, throw the deep ball. Uh, and then as an athlete, he's not necessarily, you know, his 40 yard dash might not be impressive, but his foot quickness is really impressive. And that's all I care about with a quarterback. I don't yeah. care where he runs a 40 in. If he can move quickly in the pocket, uh, I think another name we're going to hear a lot about is Johnny Manziel. Um, and hmm. fair or not, I think the main reason we're going to hear that is because uh, Johnny Manziel was so good outside of structure. And that's where Mayfield really shines as well. When the play goes off script, he's so good at – uh, breaking outside the pocket and uh, kind of you know turning in the backyard football where he, you watch him he's using his finger to point to receivers and tell them you know stop go over there and you know he's just trying to make something happen and he's so good at it um, and you know the other wrinkle to this is the Big 12 the Big 12 doesn't play defense yeah, um, not you know at so all. It, it, yeah you watch the Bedlam in the Oklahoma State game it was fun but in terms of NFL evaluation. It's hard to take it as seriously as, uh, you know, some of these other quarterbacks. But 
with that said, Mayfield did an excellent job against Ohio State at Ohio State uh, against a, a lot of future pros. Um, Ohio State's defense uh, collectively isn't very impressive, but they've got impressive personnel, especially on that defensive line. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the equation. This is why quarterbacks, the toughest position to predict and to project because there's so many different layers yeah. that you need to peel back and try and figure out. Where do you so see Dan, uh, Baker Mayfield going in the draft? I, going into this year, he was my number one senior quarterback, and I gave him a second-round grade. Um, and what he's doing this year, I think only makes me feel better about it. It kind of reaffirms my opinion. Uh, but one, one of the big steps of the draft process is the all-star games and the senior bowl. And if Baker Mayfield goes to the senior bowl, I think he could make some money and really kind of make some believers out of, uh, you know, some doubters because at the senior bowl, he'll be asked to go under center. He'll be uh, coached by an NFL coaching staff, maybe, Possibly Maybe the Browns. Hugh Jackson. It, it, well, and that's what they look for. If if the Browns don't have any big change or turnover and on the coaching staff, the Browns are absolutely be in a uh, prime position to be coaching one of the teams at uh, the Senior Bowl. So that's a a, a, a venue, a, a kind of a the setting that he could really help himself and you know go from that second round pick to maybe even higher and. You know, all it takes is one team. You know, we can we can have 31 teams think he's a second or third round pick, but if one team says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take him in the mid first round, you know, that that's all it takes. So it, I have a second round grade on him, but it wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up going earlier than that. Uh, so I obviously am not nearly as ingrained in this whole mm-hmm. scouting thing as you are, but from my like amateur perspective, what it mm-hmm. seems like when I see quarterbacks that succeed and succeed early those intangibles seem to come into play so much more than anything else. Right. And so when I see guys like I was looking at Goff and Wentz a few years ago, what I loved hearing was every single person that played with Wentz just gushing about who he was as a leader and a hard worker and all of these sort of things. And I lean towards Wentz over Goff just because of that. Yeah. I see the same thing from Watson. You know, everybody like you see this guy's a winner and he does what it takes to win. And you're seeing what that looks like on the field this year. And who knows what his long term career will look like. But as you look at these quarterbacks, who kind of do any of these guys check the box on that perspective from a guy that's going to be in the locker room and rallying the troops and doing everything it takes to be a top tier NFL quarterback? Yeah, no, I mean, you nailed it. Uh, the quarterback position is all about the intangibles. Uh, and it, it that that decision-making both on and off the field, the way they interact with their teammates. And that's something where um, uh, when Carson Wentz was coming out, I went to the national title game that year and was on the sidelines uh, specifically to scout Wentz. And, you know, I'd watched him on film. I liked him a lot. But when I saw him up close and personal – uh, exactly what you were saying, interacting with his teammates, the way he was kind of coaching up his guys, uh, being a natural leader, the way they responded to him. I walked away from that game, and I, I remember writing an article for CBS at the time. Uh, it's probably still, if you Google, it's probably still up there. I wrote an article saying Carson Wentz is a no-brainer first-round pick um, coming away from that game because uh, that was my last one of my last questions about him was how he carries himself and I mean, in terms of intangibles, I mean, Carson Wentz might be the prototype. It's the same thing with Deshaun Watson. Uh, And when you look at this class, 
that goes back to the Josh Rosen question, where does he have those intangibles that, uh, you know, translate to the pro game and someone you want to take a chance on early. Um, but with Mayfield, he's he's got the competitive chip where you just don't want to bet against him. Uh, you know, his ability to lead his team on road on the road uh, and, and win football games, uh, his ability to uh, relate to everyone on that team. Uh, is something that I think really shows. Uh, so I, I do think Baker Mayfield, he, he checks those boxes when we talk about intangibles. I don't That's wanna, what I want to hear. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but speaking of that game in Bedlam, where do you have Mason mm-hmm. Rudolph ranked? I, I'm not much of a fan. Um, and a big part of it goes back to what we were talking about with college scheme and then transitioning to the pros. You watch Mason Rudolph, and he looks like the prototype just when you see him because he's, he's tall, uh, broad-shouldered. Uh, he has a good arm, um, and he just he looks like you know what, how you kind of draw up a quarterback. Uh, but inside that offense, uh, he can be efficient. He has a beautiful deep ball. But you know it, it's that offense that kind of sets up those one-on-one opportunities down, down the field. Um, you know, he, once he finds those one-on-one opportunities – he can hit that deep ball, and it looks great, but in the NFL, you have to be able to make those whole field reads and go from one to two to three, make those progressions. And if you put any pressure on him, he locks on to that first read, and then by the time he finds his secondary reads, those passing windows are closed. And so because of, you know, he, I think that transition from that Oklahoma State offense to the pro offense, it's going to be a huge jump for him. And so that – I think Mason Rudolph, when I look at him, I see a guy who, you know, similar to like a Bryce Petty, you know, maybe in like the fourth round, you take a chance on him. I think he could be a backup. uh, And then maybe eventually when he's ready, uh, you can give him a chance to start. But uh, he, I would not feel good about taking Mason Rudolph in the first two rounds, probably not the first three rounds. That's hilarious because I'm looking at CBS Sports right now and they have Mason Rudolph ranked as the number one overall prospect. Um on on their entire board well you can tell that uh we're a, we're no longer on cbs because that's i don't know that's, <laughs> that's crazy to me but hey listen i, I thought I'm, you'd I'm have something gonna, to say about that <laughs> yeah I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna knock other people's no, for opinions because sure. that's if, if they do the work and they think that's the case then you know go with it i i tell everybody trust their eyes and learn from your mistakes and you know you're that, that that's basically you know all i do just you know, I, I spend a lot more time doing it. Um, but with Mason Rudolph, I think there's there's so much more to, um, you know, more than just the physical. You watch you watch him against Texas. You watch him against TCU. The tougher defense is on his schedule. He really – he struggled. He wilted. And you watch that Texas game, the way that Oklahoma State ran the ball down the stretch instead of letting Mason Rudolph throw the ball, I think that said a lot about the way the coaching staff trusted uh, the quarterback to make plays in that situation. So – um, I talk about the senior bowl with Mason, uh, with, with Baker Mayfield, same thing with Mason Rudolph. He'll have a yeah. chance to go to mobile and, you know, show that he can play out system. So big week for him. All right, Dane. So real quick, we won't sit on the quarterbacks for too much longer, but I'd like to know what are your top five quarterbacks as it stands right now, heading into the 2018 draft? Yeah, it's it's early. It's November. This good chances could change, but as of right now, um, you know, based on what we've seen, I've got Darnold one. 
uh, Rosen two, um, uh, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, kind of on a similar tier three, four, um, you know, kind of a similar uh, way I view them. Not ready to say one's clearly better than the other. Um, and then for that five spot, uh, I might lean Ryan Finley from NC State, who is a very cerebral, yeah. accurate quarterback. Um, it doesn't get a lot of love out there, but uh, he's a redshirt junior, an older guy, so I think he might declare early. There's always a few of these underclassmen that might surprise. A guy like Nick Fitzgerald from Mississippi State, um, Drew Locke from Missouri. We, we might have a surprise in this class who could come out. Uh, and then Josh Allen from Wyoming is the wild card. Uh, you know, he's, I call him scouting catnip because <laughs> he's, he's got, he's got everything, you know, he's the physical traits, uh, yeah. the character, he just doesn't have the, the production or it, it, where he is in his development. You're still banking on potential more so than production at this point. Is so that, is that what's happened more. to his draft stock recently? Cause going back a year from now, he was right there at the top with Josh Rosen yeah. and Sam Darnold. He was right up there, first first overall pick, but now not even he, close. He will, well, he will be the most difficult discussion in war rooms for NFL teams because a lot of it. I mean, you have to it, you have to put it in context because he lost so much from last year. He lost his top two rushers from that offense. He lost seventy percent of his completions from last year. Uh, three wide receivers, tight ends that are now in the NFL. Uh, he lost his starting center. So you know the. Providing that context and the turnover, uh, you know, that that's part of the discussion. But so is the fact that he's been inaccurate, that he uh, has he hasn't developed his touch as a downfield passer. There, there's a lot of question marks with him uh, that you worry about. And he's a candidate for the senior bowl. He's a redshirt junior. But if he graduates on time this December, he might have a chance to play in the senior bowl, which would be a big uh, boost for him. him. So absolutely. And, you know, I. He's he's a, he's a true wild card because you know how the NFL teams love the physical traits and uh, the potential. So a guy like uh, uh, you know we saw it with Christian Hackenberg a couple of years ago, he ended up going the second round, and I, I think Josh Allen could end up going in the first round. Wouldn't shock me at all just because of those tools, uh, which especially will be shown off throughout the process uh, at the combine and interview rooms and all that. So. Um, I don't have him in my top five right now, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's one of the top three quarterbacks drafted. Got it. So real quick, if Deshaun Kaiser was coming out in this year's draft, where would you slate him amongst those top five that you just listed? That's a great question. Um, Last year, Trubisky was my clear-cut number one, and then I had Watson and Kaiser kind of on that second tier, uh, and then Mahomes kind of like right behind. But I had you know, Kaiser and Watson similar, um, you know, I, and obviously Watson's played a lot better than, you know, I, where I had him graded, but I think Kaiser, it's hard because you have to separate what we know from him in the NFL and just go based on, uh, you know, draft grades. But I think he'd probably be, uh, on the cusp with that top five, like maybe, maybe right at five or, you know, trying to sneak in there at five. Um, I think there's still plenty of questions about him. So if he were in this draft, I, I, there's no – it's not a slam dunk that he'd be one of the top five quarterbacks drafted. All right, final final question about this draft class. Um, mm-hmm. During last year's draft, we heard about the 2018 draft class as being – as far as quarterbacks, as being there's a bunch of guys. Uh, you right. need to wait for that. That's kind of soured, and now people are like, oh, maybe they're not that good. How does this class relate or rank compared to last year? 
what is the what is the truth? Like, is the narrative that it's not that as good as we thought, like true, or is it just kind of now we're watching them and like players go through ups and downs? Well, yeah, and you know, obviously, if if the draft was held over the summer, you know, these quarterbacks would have been going a lot higher than maybe they are now. Um, I think it, this class had the potential to be much better than last year, but. So far, you can say that maybe it hasn't lived up to that, uh, especially at the top with Darnold. Um, but it, it, when we look back at this draft class, I don't. It shouldn't surprise anybody if last year's draft class ends up being uh, the better group than this year's class. Uh, like I said, I still believe in Sam Darnold, but uh, you know he's a younger guy. Good chance he goes back, and then we're talking about you know Rosen and Jackson and Mayfield and um, uh, some talented players. But uh, when you look at what Trubisky, how good he looks, and Deshaun Watson before his injury, uh, Mahomes, who, who knows, he could end up being the best of the group once he finally gets on the field. So um, I, I think where we are sitting right now, I would put my money on last year's draft class being better than this one coming up. Interesting. I don't like hearing that. Yeah, huge <laughs> <problem>. <laughs> And, you know, you look back two years ago with Goff and Wentz, you know, how much has our opinion of that draft class changed from last year to this year? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, what they're doing in L.A. with Goff and that offense, Wentz has taken a big step uh, where he's, you know, being mentioned as an MVP candidate. So you we, know, thought just, every, we thought everyone was reaching whenever they were going up to draft Wentz at the time, but now it's, that's absolutely not the case. Well, and especially the ups and downs during a rookie season, you know, especially with Goff. You know, he, he had a disaster first year, but – you know, all of a sudden you give him one of the best play callers uh, in the NFL as your new head coach uh, and, you know, put some talent around him. And, you know, Goff looks like he's he might lead my fantasy team to a championship this year. So, you know, <laughs> I like it. it. Good for so you. Who would have said that? Who would have said that over the summer? You know, well, I yeah, had you... Aaron Rodgers and that that totally went against me. Yeah, you so. picked him up in free agency. That's the how, way to do it. All right, Dan, how, it, yeah. how many rookies do you have on your fantasy team? Are you just like <laughs> stocking the, the rookies who you're really high on, or do you go with the vets? Uh, you know, I, I it depends because I, I do think, for the most part, rookies struggle uh, early on. You know, we look at – especially, you know, obviously fantasy football is all about the skill players. Uh, the receivers uh, definitely do struggle a lot, but – the running backs, that's where, you, especially in this past class, you expect uh, an immediate impact. And so, you know, Kareem Hunt, uh, that was uh, all over him, loved him. Um, oh. And then once Spencer Ware went down, he became, okay, that's that's my second-round target or, you know, whatever in the draft um, for my fantasy. Um, <laughs> but, that's awesome. You, know, you had some info that I didn't have. That was insider trading right there, Dane. Like, I just... <laughs> well, that's it benefits of uh doing the draft because <laughs> yeah. well and you know i do a lot of fantasy shows too ask me you know even at during the draft process okay who are they going to be the top uh fantasy guys to look for and i it's hard to answer because so much depends on the situation you know and Absolutely. if kareem hunt goes to a different team in the third round who knows uh, you know where he'd be right now if uh, how much of a chance he'd be given so if ezekiel elliott doesn't go to the cowboys if he goes somewhere else how yeah. does how does that look now? So it's, it really is kind of fascinating, but so depends on, on the end. Of, yeah. Uh, well, Dane, talking about running backs, the Browns are, have two first round picks. Obviously the Texans pick mm -hmm. looks better and better every day with Deshaun Watson's injury and all of that mayhem that's going on in Houston. Um, 
right now it stands at the seventh pick. Do you think Saquon Barkley falls back there? And do you think that it's a smart move for an NFL team? Obviously, that kind of goes against the analytical perspective of picking a running back in the top 10. We all know how Trent Richardson panned out. Do you think that the Browns um, look to replace Isaiah Crowell? And do you think Saquon Barkley falls that far? Uh, yeah, well, with Barkley, you can make a case it's he's one of the best players in this draft. And when you, I'm, I'm a big believer in you take the best player available. Uh, you take the player that's best going to impact your roster. It's tough because of the, of the position and the value at it. Looking at the draft, the Browns right now, if the draft was held today, the Browns would have six of the top 65 picks. Mm-hmm. So, and we have a handful of needs, right? So there's quarterback, receiver, running back on offense, safety, corner. So like basically any secondary player on defense. Where do you see the depth in this draft? Like which positions could we maybe wait to the second or third round to fill versus having to fill probably with top tier talent in that first round range? Uh, I think a It'll be easier to answer once we know the underclassmen who are declaring, because uh, that's such a big part of the draft class, especially the first three rounds. Um, you know, we'll have 75, 80, uh, you know, maybe even close to 100 underclassmen come out, and whoever who comes out, who goes back, that'll be a big part of that, and determine whether or not we can consider, you know, which positions deeper than others. If you look at corner this year, um, I, the senior class is okay. There's there's some capable future NFL starters, but the junior class of corners looks outstanding. I mean, you could go 10, 12 deep um, of underclassmen corners that look like they could be uh, potential impact guys, uh, especially in the first round. So I think that corner class has a chance to be uh, an excellent group this year. Uh, pass rusher as well, uh, running back, uh, and even uh, – to a lesser extent wide receiver. So I think it does match up with the Browns needs um, at least, at least a little bit, but like I said, I'm, I'm a true believer in taking the best player available. So, you know, I wouldn't say that the Browns should get or you know, should target X position in the first or second round. I really think they need to take the best player available. It's going to best impact that team. And, you know, if that's Saquon Berkeley, so be it. If there's a quarterback worth taking early, they should do it. Um, you know, it's it, it's something where, you know, it, we can go back to last year and you know, how they took Miles Garrett over, uh, you know, Trubisky or another quarterback. But I think that was the right decision at the time. And I think that's what they should do in this draft as well. Who is your best player available? Uh, it's a guy that I think the Browns should look at. And that's uh, right now, um, Mika Fitzpatrick, the Alabama yeah. corner slash safety uh, it's a guy that we're going to hear probably a lot of uh, Jalen Ramsey comparisons because mm-hmm. of the, is he a safety, is he a corner, that kind of thing. But with, uh, with Minka, I mean, you should hear Nick Saban talk about him. He raves about his football intelligence, his awareness. Uh, he's a great athlete, not on the same level as Ramsey, but not far behind either. Uh, I, I think he really, you know, it, it, we don't have that Miles Garrett this year, who's that no-brainer number one pick. We don't have, uh, you know, a left tackle, or and if they don't, if they decide quarterback's not worth it at the number one pick, so it, this might be an unconventional year where you take a secondary player at number one, which doesn't happen uh, very often. Uh, it rarely happens, so it, it'll be interesting to see if if they do end up with that number one pick, how they handle it, 
Uh, did it look to trade down? Is there a quarterback they want? It really will be fascinating. Yeah. Well, uh, Minka would, if he can play free safety, that's exactly what we need um, to to fill out this defense and really make it a complete uh, cohesive team. Um, yeah. Well, going back to you know what I agree and disagree with with the Browns, I. I still want to know, did they draft Jabril Peppers to be their free safety? Because if they did, that was a bad complete choice. misevaluation. <laughs> uh, they, because he's, he, he's, I mean, coverage has never been his strength as a player. Yeah. It wasn't in college. Uh, you know, they, they moved him around so many different positions, but he always did his best work closer to the line of scrimmage. I mean, he's a hybrid strong mm-hmm. safety. And so, you know, did they draft, did they, they move on or they trade back away from Malik Cooker and take Peppers thinking he would be their free safety because he's this great athlete? Or, um, you know, did they see him as, you know, the strong, the starter at strong safety and maybe they didn't see Kindred as a possible starter? I, I don't know, but uh, hopefully they, they fix that misevaluation because, I mean, as good of an athlete as Peppers is, he's just he's not a true free yeah. safety. No, absolutely. I think that that free safety spot is still a hole. And if you listen, if you hear what mm-hmm. Greg Williams is talking about and talking about our defense, he says, you know, like Jabril's playing this angel position is what he keeps calling it, and it's not right. what it's not what he wants to play him as, but he's like, who else is going to play it? So I think if we yeah, fill that true. hole, then we're going to be able to move Jabril up, and he is that hybrid. That's a Greg Williams defense, you know, be able to play right. five different positions on the defensive side, and uh, and have every player be able to do that. Um, and so hopefully we can get a, a Fitzpatrick or someone like that to complete the defensive unit. Well, um, and, that, and with the Fitzpatrick, uh, it, it, the question comes up, what's what's more valuable, uh, a shutdown corner on the outside or a free safety who can roam and impact both sides of the field? It, it, it's a, a interesting question because for the Jaguars, a lot of people thought that Ramsey was a better safety, a free safety, but they put him at corner, and he's played like a top five corner in this league. So with Fitzpatrick, it'll be interesting. Uh, a lot of the teams I've talked to see him as a corner, but he does some of his best work at Alabama as a free safety. So it would be really interesting to see how the Browns view him uh, and what you know what they see as more valuable, that shutdown outside guy or the guy at free safety who can uh, maybe impact the game in different ways. Yeah, you yeah, see uh... Jalen Ramsey literally knocked A.J. Green out of the game this week. It was fantastic. <laughs> You're right about that. that. That's what you want from your cover corner, right? Take, take the receiver out of the game. But as far as a free safety, you see what Earl Thomas does in Seattle and how right. he impacts their defense. When he's playing, their defense is lights out. You can't even do anything against them. Uh, when, he, different team. when he's not there, it's a completely different team. So um, if he can play free safety for us, I would love it. I would not hesitate at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's well, a good point. Well, um, we just want to wrap it up here. Thanks so much, Dane, for joining us. We could talk high and low about every single prospect that there is coming up in 2018. You know, um, us as Browns fans, we got so many picks. We want to know what the the right choice is. Um, but thank you so much for your insight. Um, we appreciate your expertise so much. Um, thank you for being a Browns fan and staying true and <laughs> join, joining the pod. We uh, so appreciate it. Can you tell no, everybody I- where they can find you? Uh, best way on Twitter at DP Brugler, um, uh, NFL draftscout.com is where you can find a lot of, uh, my work, uh, you know, weekly features, rankings, uh, mock drafts, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the, in the spring when my draft book comes out, uh, I think that's, it's something that's really grown and 
uh, become a, a must for a lot of draft fans, and I'm really proud of uh, proud of that. And a lot of work goes into it. So uh, anyone who's listening and wants to know about any of these players from uh, you know the the Minka Fitzpatrick's to a tight end from Buffalo, you know, check out that draft draft book uh, next next spring. And they can purchase that on NFLDraftScout.com. Yeah, best way is just uh, follow me on Twitter. I'll post the link, and uh, I usually like to finish it about a month out out of the draft, so late March, early April. Uh, hopefully, I have that done, and um, you know, it's I, I promise it's the most comprehensive uh, guide that that's out there. I, I don't let anybody put out more information in a guide than than this one. And and that draft... brothers will be purchasing. Yeah, no doubt. And that draft guide's got. <laughs> A lot of hype, hasn't it? There's a couple of NFL teams that ask for it every year. Isn't that true? Yeah, I, it, I'm up to five NFL teams that request it every year, and you know, God knows how much they actually use it. But I'm sure they—it's <laughs> a piece. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure they like to, you know, kind of use it as a cross check, you know, or um, because a lot of what I'm hearing goes into that. Um, it's it's obviously 99% my evaluation based on tape study, but. A lot of it is based on what other people around the league are saying and some of these small school guys. I mean, this morning I was watching uh, New Mexico State tape and, you know, trying to find these, you know, these guys that these gems trying to unearth them. And so it's uh, it's a big part of the process and uh, a lot goes into that guy, no doubt. Well, thanks again, Dane. We appreciate having you on and we look forward to having you back sometime in the future. Look forward to it. I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Dane. Absolutely. Go thanks, Browns. Thanks. Well, that was awesome. It was great to have him on the pod. That'll definitely be a, a little bit more interesting since we can't talk about the game at all. Um, but honestly, there is a lot to talk about during for for a bye week on the Browns' season schedule. Like, just about as much could happen as possibly happened during the bye week. I don't think the Browns do bye weeks. They just <laughs> no, decided, no. you know what? We're just gonna throw all the information in there. <laughs> Give the fans everything that they can work on. So the, the number one thing was the A.J. McCarron botch trade, the media circus that surrounded that and all of the negativity and all of the just LOL, laugh at the Browns, the Browns are the worst, they're idiots, the front office is the most incompetent front office ever, which couldn't be further from the truth. Pisses me off so bad because our front office, no one realizes it, but is the most competent front office, maybe not in the so league, but like, we're so competent. Let's get this out of the way. It is a good thing for the Cleveland Browns that that trade did not go through. Yes. I think everyone I think the knows only that. Thing, I think the only thing that we need to talk about is the hypothesis. Uh, I can't speak. You got it. Of hypothesis. How that came to be. Because it, like in the press conference today, Sashi Brown made it very clear that it was a collective decision. I don't to buy go that one bit. No, Sashi's a team McCarran. player. Sashi's a bro. Sashi's a bro. Yeah. Like he knows, he knows <laughs> what he has to do for his job. So I, um, I texted one of my friends this week who is family friends with the Haslam's, um, and I asked him, "Is it in Jimmy Haslam's nature to be patient, or is that <laughs> something that's impossible for him to do?" And his yeah. response was not what I wanted, and he said he has never had to be patient because he has the money to buy like competency and success. And so that like yep. crafts my narrative of this trade that it was uh, a Hugh Jackson wanting AJ McCarron, getting Jimmy Haslam on his side, 
kind of strong arming the front office to try to make it happen. I don't know why the trade didn't fall through or why it did fall through, but I don't think the front office was on board. Yeah, I agree. How could There's they no be? way he, they were on board. Because let's think about this. What we do know is that they called the Bengals at 3 o'clock and said, no, the trade's off. We're not good for it. And then they came back 55 minutes later, and all of a sudden they said, okay, we'll do it. Well, guess what? There was obviously a conversation, and somebody was forced against their will to accept that trade within the Browns' offices, whether it was the coaches, whether it was the front office, it doesn't matter. Um it has me certainly concerned about the future and whether the whole team will be intact. Um, but honestly, the outcome is exactly what we wanted from this this draft deadline, but or it, from the trade deadline. It it does also like this sense of urgency that like the front office is going to have in being pressed by um, Jimmy Haslam to do something this off season with all the cap space that we have, with all the picks that we have. We're going to have an entirely different team going into next year and Jimmy Haslam is going to have his way and is going to have a lot of pieces next year. We're going to spend all that money that we've been saving. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for this offseason. The offseason will be a blast. Let's just hope we get there with all of our uh, assets intact. Yes, yes, seriously. I, I do think 100% that like, you can't say that the front office wanted to do this trade. Looking back at no matter what Sashi Brown says out of his mouth, looking back at the transactions that we've made going through – the entire tenure in the last two years, they've never once made a trade anything remotely similar to this. It's just there. There's no chance. And they've also made trades before. They know how to make trades. That, that's it's, there's a little bit of a cheeky, like underhanded nature to this of it not working out. That makes me wonder if something else is going on. So uh, I can't wait for the thirty for thirty about this trade to be made, so we can find out what's happened in the background. Yeah, after we win the Super Bowl, and this was the. This was the trade that yeah. we didn't do that made us pick our quarterback. Exactly. I hope so. Can't wait. So, Mark, in better news. In way, way better news, not um, LOL Browns news, Josh Gordon is coming back. Let's go. <laughs> My boy, Josh. I've always been his number one fan. He's Never a- once doubted him. I always knew he was coming back. He was going to get sober. He's going to get clean. And he's going to lead us to a Super Bowl. He's been on my fantasy roster all year. <laughs> Same. <laughs> For my other leagues um he is back at practice on monday november 20th to be reinstated and we are expecting him to come back yeah so he's back at practice i think he's back in the building tomorrow he's back in the building tomorrow going to meetings and whatnot he just can't practice but he can't practice until the 20th and then hypothetically um the reports that are out there is that he'll be available for playing week 13 on the road against the san diego chargers who Uh we will they're in for it yeah, they're Jamie gonna... Meter's going to come block another <laughs> kick, and Josh Gordon's coming to town. Two wins in two years, both beating the Chargers. All right, so Michael, does this matter to the Cleveland Browns right now to get Josh Gordon back? So I think it matters only in the sense that there is this ridiculous um, fan base that is calling for wins right now and needs some positive energy, and for whatever reason – right or wrong, Jimmy Haslam is influenced by this whole narrative and has not fully bought into the long-term plan that he set himself up for. And so He's... the biggest thing that I want from the rest of this season is for a couple little nuggets of positivity that show that we're on the right track. And I think Josh Gordon helps us get there. Yes. Corey Coleman coming back helps us get there. Absolutely. Getting maybe one win 
helps us get there. And so as I want the final eight games to turn into the Browns figuring out a little bit more of who they are Mm -hmm. and pointing in a positive trajectory for 2018 and beyond. Jimmy Haslam being influenced by the way that the media talks about the Browns and the way that the fans talk about the Browns is like a, a freaking parent, a bad parent giving into a toddler's temper tantrum. Like, yes, like it's like, just be the adult, like just like have a little bit of maturity. How the heck did he build pilot and flying J up to what it is right now with his like reactive mentality that we're seeing? Like, I just, it, it baffles me. It baffles me. It's evidence that we should go into business together because it doesn't take too much, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of Josh Gordon, I, I've been a fan ever ever since he came in the league. I know he's had troubles. I mean, he's the, honestly the best wide receiver I've ever seen play football. And, like, the fact that he played for the Browns Legitimately. Like, blows my mind. Um, I'm so happy for him on a personal level. The fact that I hope that what he's portraying in the media through that documentary and then the GQ article that came out today is his true self. We're fine. Um, I hope that Matthew just dropped the iPad. That's why he said we're yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're fine. Um, and I'm, I honestly, Josh Gordon has better hands than Matthew does. He does. He does <laughs> way better. So two years ago, I, I probably was more concerned about the Browns future and like what Josh Gordon meant for the Browns future. Right now, I, I see the Browns' future going fine with or without Josh Gordon. I'd love for him to be here. Um, I hope that he can contribute, but I'm just happy to see him um, back on a, on a positive track in life and, and getting his life together. He's only 26 years old. That resonates with me. I mean, I'm older than Josh Gordon, which blows my mind. Um, yeah. And so good for him. Good for Josh Gordon. I'll root for you, whether you're a Brown or not. Yeah, I'm happy for him. I hope that he is a Brown, and I hope that he continues to play in the NFL and we re-sign him and he continues to stay on the same track. So sneaky part of this is he's only going to get five games this season. We get him next year. He's not going to accrue a season, which means he's got we a year and a half, seasons. two more years before he reaches unrestricted free agency. Which is huge. Which is For great. us. For us. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be 28 years old. So good news for him, he'll, he'll still get like a legit deal because he won't be too young, but – or won't be too old, but that's, that's yeah. huge for the Browns to so be able oh, to absolutely. see him for two seasons before you make a decision to making any sort of decision. Yeah. And he doesn't have like, he's that age, but you wonder what sort of effect, like not playing in those NFL games is going to have on his body. And will he have more longevity um, to play in the league after um, missing all of those years? And our, our, our wide receivers are finally coming too for what we've dreamed about for a long time with Corey Coleman coming back healthy and Josh Gordon going to be in the game. I mean, we've never seen them together. So that's going to be very exciting um, going through the back half of the season, the last couple games. Um, hopefully we can get a few wins. Um, so speaking of that, how many wins going into the back half of the season, Michael, Matthew, do you think that we accumulate? Matthew? I think we, of the next eight games, I think with Josh Gordon, with Corey Coleman, we've been lacking for playmakers. Our defense has been fine, but our offense has been so flat. I think we can win three games. I think we finish probably like three, three? thirteen. Yeah, I think we optimistic. Win because well, so I'm factoring the Steelers week seventeen. They're going to start Josh Dobbs because they're not going to have anything to play for. We can beat Josh Dobbs at quarterback. 
Um, and I, there's a couple games in there. I think the Ravens, we can probably beat. The Ravens are pretty terrible. Um, we play the Bears. I don't think the Bears are very good. Um, there's there's a few games in there the rest of the way that I think we could win. I think we can go 3-13. and I like the Packers game on December 10th, too. Yep. The no Aaron Rodgers Packers. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's a very winnable game. And it's going to be in Cleveland. Um, I just can see a scenario where that one plays out. Mark, to answer your question, at the beginning of the year, I called um, our record as 4-12, and 12, I do believe. Okay. And we're exactly halfway through the year, and I haven't really changed my tune on what I thought this team was capable of. I think um, a, Hugh Jackson makes a few less mistakes in the first half of the year, and we have two wins right now. Um, and so oh, we can I still get same... four wins the rest of the way. Like we could still finish four no, and twelve. No, we could not. I don't think that's. I very disagree. Likely. I don't think that's very likely. But I, I see two wins on I, the second half of the season. I love um, your optimism, though, Matthew. I'm just I'm clinging to it always. <laughs> and there's four, five games there in a row, actually, starting with the Bengals. We know. I saw firsthand. I went to that Jags Bengals game this week. It was atrocious. For the Bengals. Um, I mean, it was just terrible. They couldn't move the ball. It was pathetic. Yeah. The Jags, I mean, the Bengals the Jags are good, at the Chargers, we play the Packers, the Ravens, and the Bears. I mean, we can win all those. And then Matthew thinks we can beat the Steelers in Week 17. So I, there's winnable games. I would say we end up with two. Two and 14. Hopefully the San Francisco 49ers can win a couple too, and we mm-hmm. still end up with that first pick. Yeah, that's, my, that's honestly what I'm thinking too, Michael. I predict one, maybe two wins. I think we can beat the Chargers. We've done it before. Um, they're not they're they're not that great this year. Um, and the Bengals obviously are very bad. Um, I think one of those two games or the Bears, one of those three games, we win. I'm honestly going to say we win one game the rest of the season, and that's that's realistically what I want. If our front office stays together, if I don't even care about Hugh anymore, but if our front office stays together and we win one game and we have the first overall pick and Houston loses out and we get the fifth overall pick from them, I would be pleased as punch. Um, oh, yeah. That's just a dream Houston, scenario. So Houston loses out, that might be the third overall pick. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. They only have three wins right now, so yeah. I don't think they're going to lose out. The second half of their schedule is pretty it's weak. Pretty, pretty easy. But, I mean, the, the fifth overall pick is not out of the question, but if they lose out, it could be the third. It's not unreasonable for Tom Savage to lose every game he starts. Like that's that's like I think he has so far, right? <laughs> <laughs> the track record is good. Did did Deshaun start against the Bengals that week that they squeaked by? Yeah, that was okay. his first start. Yeah, so it is. All right, so let's move on um, to wrap this up. We're gonna move on to the lines. Uh, finish off our pod bi week podcast. Michael, what are the lines for us? All right. So first game, Seattle is visiting Arizona on Thursday night. Um, the Seahawks are favored by five and a half. Mark, do you have your coin ready? I do. It's in my hand. Seahawks favored over Arizona. Five and a half. Flipping now, thinking real hard. Um, <laughs> dropped on the ground. I'm going to have to go with the Seahawks. All I, right. Yeah, I um. Yeah, it's Seahawks. That's what I'm going with. Mark. Uh, <laughs> that was a really great take. Thank you. Matthew, what do you have to say? Quality analysis. Quite just there. high. I'm just got so much to say. My yeah. coin. 
I'm going to go with Arizona here. I mean, I think the Seahawks have been a little bit of a disappointment. And you look at the teams that they've beat so far this year. It's been the 49ers and some other garbage teams. Um, I like Arizona and the way their defense is playing with Adrian Peterson. They're running the ball, keeping the game short, keeping it low scoring. I think I'm going to go with Arizona plus the points. Interesting. So I'm with Mark and his coin. Um, although I might have a couple more things to say about this game. Mm. Um, That's not I hard. just think, I just think Arizona without Carson Palmer, I don't see them winning football games. Um, particularly against this sort of defense, like the Seahawks have, they handed the ball off to Adrian Peterson 37 times in this last game. And I don't think the Seahawks are going to be nearly um, as loose as some of these other defenses that the Cardinals have been facing. So I'm, I'm with the Seahawks. That trade was Adrian Peterson's dream come true. He is absolutely he is pleased as punch right now. I just said that so twice then, in the last like 15 minutes, which is hilarious. I've never said that before in my life. You must be a 50 year old <laughs> uh, school teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Living the dream. Uh, so that brings us to the next game we need to call. Sunday night, New England visiting Denver. The road Patriots are favored by seven and a half points in this game. Mark. I wish that this wasn't the case, but the coin just chose Denver. Um, after watching <laughs> after watching the Eagles put up 51 points on uh, Denver's defense, I don't think I, – I, I think that there's a – a formula to beat that defense and they've kind of lost heart you know when the offense can't do anything anymore um then the defense doesn't have a reason to go out there and stop them drive after drive after drive and that's what we're seeing in denver the offense is terrible brock osweiler is terrible just like he was in cleveland um i'm saying all that but i actually the coin picked um denver so i picked them to win yeah i got i gotta take new england uh minus the points here um, I trust New England's offense against anybody, regardless of the defense they come up against. They're going to put up points. Um, Denver's offense is pretty terrible right now, especially led by Brock Osweiler. So even though New England is not a good defensive team, um, I'm going to trust that they're going to keep the distance at seven and a half. I'm with you. New England, uh, Denver, Brock Osweiler. I, there's no way I'm betting on Brock Osweiler. So that's uh, <laughs> New England all the way. Um, which brings us to the next Browns game. I'm excited. I feel like I've been missing I've something them. in my life. Yeah. You know, there was a lot more positive energy on Sunday than I'm used to um, in my house this this week. <laughs> As uh, the head of the uh, household, did... you weren't bringing the entire vibe down. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. I do that far too often. <laughs> uh, so the Browns um, are visiting the Detroit Lions, who are favored by nine and a half points. Give me your thoughts on the game and uh, what you expect to see and give me your pick. Matthew, why don't you kick us off? Oh, man. So I like Detroit. I think Detroit's really good. They're coming off a short week. They're playing right now on Monday Night Football. The Browns are coming off two weeks off. I'm going to have to take the Cleveland plus the points. I just think we're going to be able to keep it not – like closer than nine and a half. We're a decent football team. I mean, eh, that's kind of comical now that I say it out loud. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're going to be able to keep it within nine and a half. I'm, I've got to take Cleveland plus the points. Our 0 and 8 start is really a, a sample size issue when you say Matthew. <laughs> yeah, we got to get to at least like 18 starts. 
All right, so I just flipped my coin and it went with my gut, which makes me feel good. I'm gonna take um, Detroit um, <laughs> because I just like that was your gut. That was my gut. I I think that they're gonna beat us by ten points. Um, the thing is, is we stop on defense. We stop the run really well, right? And Detroit, no, baby, Detroit doesn't run the ball at all they throw the ball and our pass defense is not very good um so detroit's strength matches up against our weakness and i think they're just going to toss the ball downfield all day on us and we're not going to be able to stop them at all um i don't think that um we're going to be able to hold this game within 10 points i think that matt stafford's going to throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns so i'm kind of with matthew and for the very reason that we're coming off of a bye and they're come playing on a short week, even though they have home field advantage, I like us at least covering this game. Um, I think there's a sneaky chance that we could pull one out, um, but we have this like ability to keep a game really close and then make it look like a blowout by the end of the game with in the other team's favor. Um, so it's always a possibility for the Lions to cover, but I think we'll keep it close, um, and I'm trying to instill some faith in Hugh Jackson and his ability to uh, game plan off the bye week. So, um, where's that faith? What I'm looking from? to yeah, see. I don't know. I don't <laughs> what? know what, why do you still have that faith? Oh, I, I don't. I honestly feel like Hugh Jackson can scheme and game plan with the best of them. But I think whenever you enter all the other stuff that he's responsible to do into the equation. He becomes a less than optimal head coach. So I'm okay with him putting a game plan together and calling plays. Um, it's the rest of the stuff that I think starts to muddy everything. So I'm, I'm thinking that this might s- suit him having all the time to like put a plan together. Yeah, until he has uh, to decide whether to call a timeout or not, and then it's over. It, really, what I want to <laughs> see is a little bit more of what we've seen from Kaiser, where they're playing it a little bit safe, picking yeah. their spots, on where they take the deep shots, and um, hopefully we can keep seeing some growth from him. So um, I'm optimistic. All right. Well, there they are. We'll see how that plays out next week. Michael, where do we stand on the, the standings? Oh, true. Lines? true. Uh, let's not talk about that. We can no, uh, no. give everybody an <laughs> Oh, come on. Come week. on, Michael. No, hit Don't us with it. it. No, hit us with it. I was trying it. to save some time. I didn't want to have to go through it. <laughs> are you Michael, sure? Yeah, tell us you're in last. Tell um, us you're losing to a uh, 2004 Florida coin. I don't ever lose to you guys in anything. What are you talking about? Well, you're losing right now, Michael. The it's, entire the country. not over. There's people the in Japan who are listening to All you right. losing right now. A bunch of people in Tokyo listen to this pod, which is so interesting. Thank you again, Tokyo listeners. So uh, I am in last, and then it's Mark, and then it's Matthew, and it's only one game separating each one of us, so it's all within reach. And no one should ever place their actual wagers um, based on what we say because we're all below 50% on our (laughs) winning percentage. That's a huge bummer. So uh, we've got some room for improvement. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. All right, well. Um, thanks so much for listening, guys. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, Dane Brugler joining the podcast. And thank you for listening all the way through. As always, be sure to leave a comment on our um, iTunes podcast page and send us an email at cinevar, or cinevarfathers at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter 
at Sin of Our Fathers. Thanks again for listening. Go Browns. Go Browns.